What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Age of Radio. Coming up! Clint Eastwood gets out of bed to show us the most heroic of American soldier, the sniper. Hiding in holes and taking pot shots at the unaware, truly, he is the soul of a nation. All this in a fake baby to cuddle this week on For Screen and Country. Some talk of Alexander and some of... Thank you. Oh, what a crowd. So great to hear you all. So great to see you. Thank you so much for coming out, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you, you really are wonderful. Welcome. Welcome to For Screen and Country. Yes, we're back. We're here live, friends. We are live. Coming to you from downtown Baghdad. Yes, we are. And, and as we start the show, let us uh, say thank you to our late singer, Sir Reginald Fitzgibbons, who gave his life in the name of a wonderful song. Thank you. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, but I'm 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 on a little bit of a loss for words, Jason, because why is that, Brendan? Well, we for, we neglected to do something last week. Is that you never told the folks where we were broadcasting from? Absolutely, and that was a, that was intentional because we couldn't say anything, Brendan. We were uh, broadcasting from a live recreation of a World War One prison camp, mm. and our uh, recording equipment was actually built into the coffee pot that was in the barracks. And if it was uh, found out that we were recording a podcast in the barracks, we would have been beaten viciously. So. We we weren't we certainly weren't in the officers' quarters at this uh, recreation prison camp, so sure. we had to keep things quiet. Yeah, but but this week we are uh, letting you know that we are here downtown Baghdad, the former green zone. We've got uh, a large crowd of locals here that have all come out to visit and see this podcast. We're we're very big in Iraq. Uh, I think we're actually the number one podcast in Fallujah for the last ten twelve months. Yeah, the number one uh, British movie, as we did before, the number one British movies podcast uh, with mm-hmm. two Canadians hosting in Fallujah, mm-hmm. for sure. In Fallujah and Mosul, both. Uh, and we haven't yes. quite cracked uh, uh, Baghdad yet, but this is why this we're is here why. now. 
That's right. We took, We're a, here to, we took to, a real risk doing a live show in the one city in Iraq that that we're not number one, but we we get no. a lot of people from outside the city. I see my my, my boy in the front row there. There he, there he is. That's my guy. That's um, my guy too. That's, you my, know, that's our guy. We're buds. It's it's crazy. We, we we decided to do a whole uh, season of, uh, of of podcast live episodes and just com- almost completely cut out the crowd audio, um, as you'll well, as you'll hear in these in these uh, edits. That's intentional, and, and this is an offense to you folks here in the crowd. It's just that uh, we don't particularly like the noises you make, so uh, for the most part, we keep them muted, uh, and that's just for the view. That's just for the listener mm. and the viewer, because mm. we are we are actually live on closed circuit TV across the Urals. Yes, but uh, uh, as you are hearing it now in North America, you get it on podcast. But um, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome everybody to For Screen and Country. I'm your host, Jason, and this is my co-host, sidekick, and uh, uh, all-around gopher, Brendan Wall. And we are here. And I saw my to... shadow, so you know what that means. <laughs> uh, it means we're six months from another invasion. That's right. That's right. All right. And we are here today to talk about war movies. That's what we've been doing. We're talking about the best war movies of all time, and telling you if, in fact, that is true. Yes, indeed, Jason. The top 100 greatest war movies of all time, according to whom? Uh, was was it was it Paste? <laughs> yeah. Was it Vulture? <laughs> Don't worry, folks. 25 episodes from now, he'll remember it. It's yeah, Paste <laughs> Magazine. Uh, oh, it's the Paste. Top okay. 100 greatest uh, war movies of all time, and of course, a lot of other stuff because that's what we do. But it's all yeah. gonna be war themed, folks. It's all gonna be war themed, and uh, this week. Uh, before we get into this week's movie, uh, we do have to read some comments for you folks uh, regarding the last film that we covered, and that was, of course, Grand Illusion. So, Jason, yeah, tell me, tell tell me something, tell me something if you could ASL me yeah. about these comments. You, you want to know how old the comments are? Yes. Okay. So, by my reckoning, about. Two hours. Okay. Uh, sex the, the sex. Condo- they, the sex of the condoms. Well, the comments the are condoms. many, many g- uh, genders and sexes, so we'll just say all. Okay, and the and language? I'm pretty sure the L's for location. No, I'm, I've changed it. Uh, well, the language, of course, is Klingon. Okay, and the location? Uh, Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. The ASLL is what yes. I asked for. Oh, ASL. That's right. So, Jason, let's read some fucking comments, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's get right to it, bro. What do, who do we got first? Well, I'll tell you, Brennan. Yeah, we got a lot of people me. that like talking about movies, and this is one that not as many people have seen, and that's okay. This movie is, you know, from 1937. In so, a row. In a row. And, and uh, I was looking up, and um, not many of the people that were involved in this movie are alive. In fact, I would wager that they're all dead. Likely. Were there any babies in this movie? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. There was hardly any women. So A lot of babies in this week's movie. Well, one baby. One fake baby. <laughs> one glorious fake baby. Mm-hmm. Grogu's got nothing on the fake baby. Our first comment, Brendan, on La Grande Illusion comes from Anthony Bellotti. Who says, saw it on 35mm, lucky motherfucker, mm. like 10 years ago and absolutely loved it. Only seen a few other Renoir titles since, but this one really left an impression. Plus, I love Von Stroheim. That's not a, a phrase that's said much these days, but uh, true. Good reason to. He's great. 
Yeah. Um, have you seen any other Renoir titles? Because I haven't that I'm no, aware of. But, but I have heard, um, spoiler alert for the next comment, I have uh, I have heard a lot of good things about the rules of the game. That's apparently a very good one as well. Okay. Um, Von Stroheim, yes. He's great. I, I got to watch Greed sometime, I think. Yeah. Um, this next one comes from Andrew Littlefield. Uh, he says, just like his other famous film, The Rules of the Game, I enjoyed it but failed to see why it's considered one of the all-time greats. They're both good films, but I don't feel much connection to the characters. It's an interesting felt, take, Andrew. I think I felt that similarly. Um, maybe this movie resonated more with the people that had been through it. Maybe like more me. so than people who, yes, people like you who were in World War One because mm-hmm. you're a vampire. Yes. And uh, uh, somehow you made it through. I mean, uh, well, I wouldn't say it just resonated with the people who had been through because I mean, it's it's a it's got a reputation of being a classic. Oh yeah, and uh, every era. But I mean, it, just from my own perspective, while I did like it, it didn't it didn't resonate with me the same way something like All Quiet did. It didn't hit the same kind of spot that I wanted to hit. My kind of uh, intellectual clitoris, if you will. Okay, I don't want to, I just want to get to remove that from my brain forever. <laughs> no, you can't. You want to keep your intellectual clitoris, Brendan. Mm, touch my intellectual <sighs> clitoris, baby. Yes. Um, Jason, what is our next comment? Hopefully it's not about an intellectual clitoris. Our next comment, I thought it might have been Sherry Martell from Beyond the Grave, but no, it's actually Sherry Martin who writes, I love this film. It does such a great job of capturing the feel of the time, and I adore Jean Gabin. There we go. What does Jean oh. Gabin play? Uh, wasn't he the main guy? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me look him Pierre, up here. Pierre Frenet plays the uh, pa- plays Bourdieu, so I believe Jean Gabin is. Yeah, he was is... the he was the the sergeant or whatever the yeah, enlisted okay. man. Yeah. The late great. Late great. Well, they're all late greats. Who's our next comment from a person who I assume is not stupid because well, they were alive at least at the time that they wrote the comment? Well, motherfucker Robert Tucker says, I love this film. It was the first Renoir I saw, I think, in a college film course. Renoir says a lot about class and changing social relations just using visual language. The Rules of the Game is a great film, but I think I like Grand Illusion slightly more. Plus, it's got the great Jean Gabin. Lots of love for Jean Gabin. Yeah. Yeah, he's the... He's the uh, the guy from the artist of his time. I can't think of his is, name. Is he the Humphrey Bogart of France? Who's the dude from the artist? What's his name? Like the character or the actor? No, the actor. The guy. I don't fucking know. You fucking piece of shit. Jason, I'm sure the us... artist is great. No question. I just have never seen it. Jason, give us our last fucking comment, you whore. Ugh, this is rough today. Our last comment comes from Renee, Renee Downing, who writes, Ooh. great movie. It's true. I once saw Dick Cavett and or- ask Orson Welles which two films he'd save if all movies were about to be destroyed. That sounds like a Dick Cavett question for sure. And he said, Grand Illusion and something else. Yes. And, and that just... definitely sounds like Welles. <laughs> yeah. Well, we discussed that quote last week as well. Yes. Yeah. Welles, what a guy. Dick Cavett, by the what? way, folks, uh, just a quick thing. If you have never deemed to go on Tubi and watch Dick Cavett's uh, talk shows, Fucking man, you should. It's a great time. It, watch it late at night, just like the old days. Make sure you have some whiskey and a, and a pack of cigarettes and really just sink into him talking to Groucho and and fucking uh, that racist governor and, you know, all, all the greats. George Wallace? No, not him. The other Lester somebody. He was, oh. he had Jim Brown and this racist governor on to have like, um, like a civil rights debate, essentially. And Jim oh, Brown boy. conducted himself with... Absolute professionalism in the face of some incredibly stupid things that the governor said to his face. 
Um, and also, if you want to then uh, poke a little fun at Dick Cavett, you got to find the Saturday Night Live sketch in which Rick Moranis plays Dick Cavett. And uh, they do like a sort of thing, you know, where Groucho did the thing where if you say the word, the duck comes down and you win a prize yeah, or yes, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. Well, there's a there's a word that's it's such a convoluted word, and uh, I believe at one point uh, the contestant says it. It comes down, and Dick Cavett does. Dick Cavett is like, well, yes, of course, you said the word, which is a little trite. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, it was an easier word to come to. I don't believe the prize system is certainly set up in a in a proper way. <laughs> like he's very. Like, he's- I, I don't know. Did anybody else ever do Dick Cavett like as a character? Because Rick Moranis fucking nailed it. He killed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But on that note of Rick Moranis and Dick Cavett and killing it, um, we are going to move on. We are going to talk about this week's movie, and that is, of course, Bang Bang Bang, American Sniper. Growing up, I was a boy that wanted to be a man. Riding bulls and shooting cows out in the field. My daddy taught me what I needed to be an American. So I took those skills and I went across the sea. And last when I shot every last person in Baghdad. I shot every last person in Baghdad. I sat on the roof of the Baghdad City Hall and I killed every person I saw. I killed every person I saw. And I'm pretty sure I killed the whole city. And they pinned a little metal on my chest. Now I'm back home with my family in the States now and I'm living the life that I deserve cause I earned it. American Sniper. Wow. Uh, of course, the beautiful uh, title song as performed by Chris Kyle himself. Yes. Uh, I <laughs> am a sniper. Can't believe they got him. Yeah. I am a sniper performed by Chris Kyle uh, for the theme song, the love song from American Sniper. Uh, the film we are talking about this week. Jason, this movie released in the year of our Lord, 2014, directed by a Mr. Clinton Eastwood uh, and starring yeah. a who's who. I'm just kidding. There's only a few names that I recognize, but uh, we are uh, we do have a Mr. Bradley Cooper leading the charge in this movie as uh, Chris Kyle, someone who uh, uh, problematic and controversial, to say the least. We'll talk about him, though. Uh, and we also have Sienna Miller um, as his wife, Taya. And Sienna, we've talked about before because we talked about that uh, very mediocre Alfie remake. She was in that as well. Um, right. We have Luke Grimes as Mark Allen Lee. We have Jake McDormand as Biggles, uh, one of his good friends. We have uh, Corey Hardrick as D slash Dandridge. Um, and uh, Keir O'Donnell as his brother, Jeff Kyle, who we see in a couple scenes. And you know what? I'm just going to say it because maybe the movie isn't uh, so nice to people like him as the nicest way I can say it. But we also have, last but not least, Navid Negaban, I know I said that wrong, I apologize, as Sheikh Al-Abadi. Oh, yes, the the gentleman who, uh, yes, yes, I remember that. Um, but that, yeah, so that is American Sniper. So thank you very much, folks. There's nothing controversially weird about this movie, and it's perfect, and there's no notes, and uh, we're going to just call it a night. I think, i got to say this right off the bat. If this movie was about a fictional sniper and not about Chris Kyle, 
I think we'd have a much better time discussing this movie. I will say right off the bat, I think it my I think it would change a little bit for me, but I think I'd still have some of the similar problems. Sure, but we'll get into it. Uh, I, I I think it's it's a problem when you try to lionize somebody who I guess when they conceived of this movie was still alive. Well, and yeah. was a guy that maybe they didn't dig enough deeply into his past. Uh, maybe he's a guy that shouldn't be lionized by a big budget film like this. But I think if it was about like a composite character. I would like this movie probably 25% better. Well, here's the interesting thing is that we've already talked about Hacksaw Ridge. And we talked yes. about in that movie how um, they're lionizing a guy who, by all accounts and purposes, was a great person, a, a, yeah. as a, a hero, a, literally a man who didn't fire a single shot and yeah. rescued so many people and underplayed it. I think we couldn't have a more yeah. opposite person in this movie, um, a person who certainly yeah. rescued American soldiers, but, you know, he shot what, uh, as far as the SEALs are concerned, 160 people officially. Yeah. Um, of course, he's made all sorts of different claims more than that, but that's the official number. And also someone who, uh, you know, maybe not so great. But, Jason, why don't you just give us the basic uh, basic plot outline of, uh, of Amer- American Sniper? Yeah, so th- this is a, a a biographical. This is a biographical picture, a a biopic, a biopic, mm. if you will. It uh, is about the life of Chris Kyle, and it kind of goes from him being a young man. Well, actually, from him being a boy, because of course we got the the Dewey Cox scene at the beginning where he's a boy, and he's out uh, doing something with his daddy, uh, which in this case is like shooting something, and. A deer. Um, a deer, of Dope. course, because that's what you a do. Female deer. Teaching him, uh, you got a real talent, son. He says to him, "You got a real talent, son, for shooting." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that means he's going to become a sniper. You got a real talent, boy. You got to make use of it. Right. Um, so he grows up to be a cowboy. Uh, he's a rodeo rider, and he's a shit kicker, and he likes to drink and have fun and party with the boys. And then his girlfriend cheats on him, and so he kicks her to the curb and. Uh, he sees, I guess he gets, see, there's a lot of people in this world, they have like 9-11 moments uh, uh, where they get kind of radicalized. I don't know if that's the right word, but they get, they, they decide to join the military based on an incident that happens. And I think he got uh, radicalized by the uh, barracks bombings. I'm not sure if it was in the 80s or, well, no, it, could have been. it must have been in the 90s. He, it must have been in the, we know Osama bin Laden blew up some barracks in the late 90s. He did, but he also, I mean, there is a, also a very blatant moment before he joins uh, the SEALs where he's watching the footage of 9-11 ha- as it happens. <laughs> and, and the camera zooms in on him and the music swells and he has a look yeah. of disdain on his face. Well, no, that's that's after he joins the SEALs. because the, And what got me about that specific moment, Brendan, without jumping ahead too much, but what got me about that specific moment is it okay. He joins up. He sees these barrack bombings happen, right? That was Osama bin Laden that was al-Qaeda that did that. Yeah. Uh, he joins up, gets in the thing, sees 9-11 happen. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Al-Qaeda does it, right? And then, so he sees 9-11, he's standing there with their shirt on, and they're both looking sad. Cut to, he's on his way in-country to Iraq, which is a country that had nothing to do with that, <laughs> ultimately. Well, the, the, and I think by 2014, we knew that. Now, yeah. I get I get it's a movie, and, you know, we got to kind of play a little bit fast and loose to make the story work, but that that's like a big, that's like that's like King Kong and the boat. Like, that's, like, what the fuck? Why is he going from there? He should be in Afghanistan, Well, that, but that's, uh, but that's, logically. But that's the thing, though. When that happened, we, they, they, I shouldn't say we, we were not, 
for, for not the same not the same reason anyway. But America was in Afghanistan, and then very shortly after they were in Iraq. So I mean, and to, trying to draw connections, right? And and it, this movie almost feels right away like it's like, oh yeah, and then we went to Iraq, of course, because you know nine eleven, and you're yeah. like, wait a second, that's not how history yeah. reads that at all. No. But in, as part of overall war on terror, I suppose, yeah, there we are. He's there. So he goes to Iraq and uh, uh, starts his life as a sniper and gets his first kill uh, where he shoots a lady who has a grenade. No, he shoots a the, child as his first kill. Uh, yeah, sh- I guess the child is his first kill, which to be fair, which I reading upon his real life, I'm pretty sure he did. He did shoot a woman. He did he shoot, shoot a kid. He, nev- he shot a woman who was holding a toddler. That was the most. That was the most baffling thing I read because a lot of the things in this movie they gloss over stuff that would, if they hadn't, would make him look worse. And yeah. they just opted to have him shoot a child in the movie, which yeah. never happened. <laughs> No, it didn't actually happen as far as we know. Which, like, you, think, uh, I mean, you think they wouldn't put that in the movie. But given this guy's history of maybe saying things that aren't true, it might fit with his desire to be seen as a badass, I guess. I don't know. I, that, and that's what is interesting about this movie is that Bradley Cooper is playing this guy as very much as like an all shucks, yes sir, no sir uh, kind of dude. And maybe he was like that. But he comes across as a much more m- humble, kind of like down to earth kind of shit kicking Texan. Uh, whereas in real life, he wasn't quite that. He was uh, clearly a glory hound sniper. Yeah. Who, uh, uh, well, probably did some good helping out veterans and stuff. That's ultimately what killed him. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not saying you shouldn't help veterans. You should. No, you they heard it here it. first, folks. Jason says <laughs> if you try to help veterans, you will likely get shot. But yeah, so he goes to Iraq. He gets his first kill, where he shoots a kid and then shoots his mom. Uh, and saves a bunch of uh, U.S. soldiers in the process. And then he's in the shit. He's in there. He's doing the sniper thing. He's dropping people left and right. He At one point, he even goes in on a raid with them, which I'm like, can he just do that? Can he just decide that he's going to go in on this raid with them? Like, now they don't have cover from the roof. Which I don't think actually happened, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, so anyways... He's doing his thing there, and then he comes back home, and he just he has trouble adjusting. Like we go through that, and this is and this is one of the better parts of this movie. I like that they address this. The guy who just can't get it out of its head, he can't he can't come home. Mm-hmm. And this, there's other movies that do this too. We will eventually watch The Hurt Locker. I've mentioned that before. I've never seen it. I'm like, excited for that one. Yeah, but it's like he can't get it out of his head, and he wants to go back. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he wants to go back. Apparently, he, he, like so many soldiers, he wants to go back not because he necessarily wants to be there, but it's because it's what he knows and it's where his friends are, and he wants to protect his friends. But yes, yeah, so it's just him kind of going back and forth between his, like you said, between his uh, his missions, his his his. You know, he goes back to Iraq a bunch of times, and he's dealing with some PTSD, and then. Uh, his marriage is uh, suffering because of it. Eventually, he helps some veterans, and uh, we get his off-screen death. Yeah, and and but we also do have a ma- the major conflict in the movie. I guess the major dramatic conflict in the war is between him and a an enemy sniper they call Mustafa, mm-hmm. who apparently has uh, his number, and then he was kind of the recurring villain of the piece that eventually leads to Mister Kyle getting his heroic sniper shot uh, that the movie demands. Because it's called American Sniper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the only. It's the only sniper shot in the movie where we get like the 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 sniper. What the fuck is that game? Oh, the POV. It's like the, the yeah the, the slow motion bullet cam kind of yeah. uh, a shot. You know. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> so number one, we got to say that conflict was not real. 
No. There was. There, he is the character of Mustafa is sort of based on an Iraqi sniper who uh, was thought to go by the name Juba. Yeah. Who did put out a number of videos back then, of which I've seen a couple. And uh, yeah, it's basically just him cutting down U.S. troops, right? And did you know um, that this was a like if if this had gone the original way it was going to go, it was actually going to have Steven Spielberg directing, and <laughs> he was. Uh, that was going to be the main conflict. He was going to dramatize it a lot more. Um, yeah. And it was basically going to be like an enemy sniper versus Chris Kyle as a sniper. But I feel like with a Spielberg film, he would have made it very much, much more obviously um, uh, changed for dramatic purposes. Like, I don't know if he would well, have based it as much. And again, like, I think if you'd have had, if you'd have made a movie like that with a sniper based on Chris Kyle and an enemy sniper based on the personage of Juba, sure, that would have been a great fucking movie. Yeah. Um, but by trying to, but it just feels shitty when you, like, I understand movies have to change. Like, you can't just necessarily do a story straight on to make a movie, but to wholesale invent this thing, because I think even, even, Chris Kyle knew of Juba and he's like, he'd heard about him and maybe run into him once or twice, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't like they were like at each other's throats or anything. Like, yeah, he wasn't like the Dr. Evil to his Austin powers. Like it yeah, wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't like his blow felled, you know, it wasn't the guy that was constantly, uh, in the rear view. Um, but like it's, it's, I, I maybe Clint Eastwood saw enemy at the gates and he thought, well, Vasily Zaitsev had his, uh, uh, Koenig. So, mm-hmm. Fucking Chris Kyle's got to have his Mustafa. But it, but by mistake, he watched Behind Enemy Lines. That's a mistake oh, you don't want to make. Hmm. Yeah. No, sir. Hmm. Jason, okay, so we're going to talk about a lot of... Wait, what did I say? I meant Enemy at the Gates. What, did I say Enemy at the Gates? You did. Okay, just to be sure. I swear, I thought I, thought I said Behind the Enemy Gates. No, you said Enemy <laughs> at the Gates. Um, okay, Jason, we need to get, we're going to get into a lot of stuff here, but I think we need to talk about... My first big note here is, is this movie kind of racist? Because I feel like the the portrayal of the opposite side is pretty simplistic. Like, I know in, it's very ha- thin. I know in Hacksaw Ridge, we never really saw the Japanese soldiers. And we did see one of them performing seppuku, which is, you know, something that would happen. But I feel like in yeah. that movie, because we hardly see any of them, it doesn't stick out as much. In this movie, they show them like, you know barbaric like we see we see the this guy called the butcher like kill a kid with a Mm. drill we see and then the one iraqi character who we get as like a quote-unquote good guy ends up being in with the terror with the with the terrorists or with the you know with the al-qaeda or whatever so i i for i just found it like it was either i don't know if it was either racist or if it was just stereotypical or maybe even just too simplistic or too thin like you said I think it was just, little, I think it was simplistic to some extent. I don't know I that jingoistic, if it was racist, I think it was your typical white man unintentional racism. Like, I don't think, I really, I mean, for, as conservative as Clint Eastwood is, I don't think he's an intentional racist. Uh, I mean, you could argue maybe with Gran Torino, but again, I don't think he's intentional about well, it. Well, you, yeah, you could also say in Gran Torino, though, that that character is not seen as like no. being good for having those views. And and to be fair, Chris Kyle as well. I mean, in his book, he does refer to Iraqis as savages that he was fighting. And you know what? When I, I forgive that a little bit, just because if you've been in combat with someone and they're fierce combatants, uh, I mean, you, I have no doubt that those troops that fought the Japanese last week in Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, or the week before, or whatever week—I well, don't know what week we're on for. Uh, two weeks ago, those Japanese and uh, would probably have been described as savages by the guys that were fighting them. Yeah, they fought so goddamn hard. But at the now, same time, forgive it. There's a difference it's to dehumanizing. me. Dehumanizing. 
Yeah, well, there's a difference to me with that movie as well because I feel like this movie is kind of like, yeah, he's right. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's kind of it's kind of nodding its head in agreement with Chris Kyle a little bit. And when he keeps calling them savages and it just reminded me of the real quote from Chris Kyle. And I noticed he never said this in the movie, but because he actually referred to them years later as subhuman. And this ah. was not just the people he was fighting. This was Iraqis in general. He referred to them as a country full of subhumans. Um, which is is something, and then when you hear in this movie him saying savages, you know it just it just conjures up a very negative, uh, uh, which is thing, which is ridiculous because if the tables were turned, and Chris Kyle was a guy you know uh, whose home was being invaded by a foreign power, yeah, uh, he would be fighting tooth and nail <laughs> against the occupying power, no question, hundred percent. So now, to and 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 as as he could do it now certainly i'm not saying that an american soldier is necessarily on the, the same uh, sanity level as a man who would kill a, a child with a drill in the head but yes. but i do notice they show like you know all of the worst kind of opposition like it's never just like it's never usually just people that are defending their homeland so yeah. to speak well but i mean like how much okay so obviously the butcher is a cruel piece of shit guy who is <laughs> drilling kids and stuff but like how much Beyond that, do we see as far as cruelty on the parts of the Iraqi insurgents? Like, I, we, we see them getting into firefights. We see them maybe not <laughs> acting as best as they should in a firefight. Now, I'm no tactical expert, but running out into the open, uh, bad idea. I don't know, uh, man. I think it, there's, there's there's enough weird moments. Like, one of them that really stands out to me is at the beginning of the movie, because we start in media res, because he's, he's yeah. deciding what he has to do, because he sees this kid, uh, this Iraqi kid, pick up, like, a rocket launcher. And he's by like the way, by his, the way, just get, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, he's thinking in his head, like, do I have to shoot him? Do I have like, yeah. do I have to stop this? What do I got to do? Cut from that to as he's about to make his decision, you hear a gunshot, and it's him as a kid shooting a deer. Like, I think that's a little weird. I mean, that's wasn't it the immediate res where he's going to shoot the kid with a grenade, not the kid with the rocket launcher? Well, whatever. The yeah, yeah. Well, on, you know yeah. what I'm saying, though. It's the kid, the kid yeah. that he's decided he's not sure if he has to shoot or not. And then you hear a gunshot, but it's him as a kid shooting a deer. And I was like, okay, so it's a weird thing to like suddenly cut to like an animal <laughs> being shot. I don't know that. That was strange to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, or, or comparing it maybe to it's just like shooting deer back home, son. You just aim and pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Jason. You were gonna say something. I was gonna say too. This movie, like, like so many, like, <laughs> in a move that I'm sure was parodied by Team America, probably before this movie long ever came out. Uh, the movie opens with a Muslim call to prayer, which <laughs> is that like in every single movie set during the War of Terror that there's got to be a scene where the Muslim call to prayer. We hear it, and it's setting the you know the stage of oh, what's gonna happen. Yeah. Well, and every time we see like. Al Qaeda, or like you know, the opposing forces, the Taliban, whatever. The the lighting is dark, and the shadows are stark, and the music is like, you know, that that that. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything bad, but like you know, a music you would typically hear on that side of the world. Um, you mean like Middle Eastern style? Yeah, music. like yeah, Middle yeah. Eastern style music, and uh, and and done very like you know sinister music and everything. It just. I don't know. Like, I feel like in a movie where you're trying to be like, 
a portray a, a sensitive portrayal, or at least you should be trying to do like a sensitive portrayal of like you know this conflict and Chris Kyle and maybe what he's going through in his head because you know being a sniper certainly would fuck with your head. You're like literally sitting in a tower just executing people. Certainly it would yeah. fuck you up. But I think it it it. It is like an action thriller too much to me. Like it's like I mm. I could see this movie being like a dumb Bruce Willis movie from like 1999. You know what I mean? Like it just seems too easy. Like they're the bad guys. Like sniper movies to me should be quiet movies because a, a, a sniper's life is 99% laying around and waiting mm-hmm. and watching and waiting for the right moment, right opportunity. Uh, some guys lay out there for days. Like, well, don't worry because you get lots of nice music to swell up and uh, yeah. and tell you exactly what to think in this movie. Jason, I'm, hmm. th- it's already becoming obvious. I'm I'm not. I'm very mixed on this movie. Um, yeah, I have a lot of I would, issues. I would with say it. I'm mixed as well. I have a lot of issues with it, and I have a lot of. Th- there's some things that I like, but there's a lot of things that uh, kind of uh, I have a hard time with. But. Um, and I don't think East, like Clint Eastwood went on to say, like they were asked him about the movie a lot. And he was saying like, you know, well, this is, this is an anti-war movie. He was talking about Korea and Vietnam and how you know, un- unnecessary conflicts and everything. And I was, I'm like, I get what you're saying. And I believe that Clint Eastwood is telling the truth about his own personal thoughts, but I don't think it comes across here. Like, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a strong anti-war message. Maybe there's a strong message about how, how veterans are treated, but I feel like that's in like the last 20 minutes of the movie. Like it feels very tacked on to the, this movie. Um, I don't, I don't get the sense that the movie is necessarily saying the conflict itself is bad or, or immoral. Um, The closest we come to that is through Kyle's brother, who uh, is just like shell shocked? You know, like fuck this country. Like when he says fuck this country, yeah, or fuck this place or whatever it is, and he's like, "What? Would you say fuck this place?" Yeah, and like you get the sense that okay, yeah, this guy knows what's up. Knows this is a useless kind of fucking war. But I, I don't know that the movie overall is driving home at that. I think, and and I, I would argue too, the movie is more about Chris Kyle than being a war polemic. So fine. I mean, but... we don't need. I don't need it to be like all quiet on the Western Front. I don't need like big yeah. long scenes about like with like a teacher telling kids to go to war and shit. But like, hmm. I don't know. I feel like if if though if that's how Clint Eastwood feels about conflict about conflicts like this, I feel like some of that yeah. should probably be seeping into the movie at, at somehow, even in small ways, hmm. like something like well, you know, uh, something to tell. Um, Chris Kyle that like you know they call him legend they call him hero and everything but like Mm. maybe him finding out that despite all the stuff he did it's still pretty much the same situation you know just something I feel like needs to be there yeah and I wish he would have had more of a struggle I mean he does have a struggle with PTSD and stuff a little bit and I like that it's there but I don't know that there's enough of a struggle and maybe he didn't live long enough to truly like deal with it but yeah no like I said it feels uh, it feels like it's just tacked on to the end of the movie like mm-hmm. oh right the ptsd stuff we've been hinting at for a while i guess we got to put put some kind of a cap on that i feel it's a little weird it, it doesn't it's like if someone was like you know it's just weird to hear someone say like well i'm very liberal on these issues and then they make a movie and they're like you're like are you because that doesn't really <laughs> come across at all but also we have to understand i mean clint eastwood wasn't brought in to make an art film he was brought in to make a movie that was hopefully going to be commercially successful and <laughs> You know what? You, you gotta as much as I want the two-hour quiet 
contemplative philosophical movie about a sniper lying in a hole and kind of considering his place in the world maybe that's not as commercially viable as a movie that has a lot of bang bang and there's some good action scenes in this movie sure. uh, as a as a constructive war movie like like I said about Mel Gibson last week you can't argue with Clint Eastwood's abilities as a filmmaker he's very good mm-hmm. and um, the action scenes in this movie are a lot of fun uh, uh, some good firefights and they all seem pretty grounded I don't know if I'd say fun is the word <laughs> <laughs> well, fun for me as a as a as a military nerd of sorts, but um, yeah, and they seem relatively realistic. I mean, I'm again no expert, but the accuracy of this movie when it comes to like the history of it, eh, I wouldn't trust it, especially about Kyle's biography. But like the uniforms and equipment seem right. <laughs> they the tactics they seem uh, to be using are, are right. Like they're you know hide behind cover and flanking and doing all that sort of stuff that soldiers do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not like a James Bond action picture. I do find though. Okay, so when you go outside of the war stuff, I do find that if this movie is to be used, kind of held up as an example, I do think Clint Eastwood's uh, portrayal of women is a bit troublesome. <laughs> yeah. Um... Can we can we, can we talk about that first? scene one of the first scenes where he catches his uh his his girlfriend cheating on him yeah. and he comes in and you know obviously he grabs the guy and throws him out the door i feel like the real chris kyle probably did a number on her too but maybe that's probably not probably mm-hmm. don't put that in the movie we I don't guess. know we don't know <laughs> for sure but um he he you know he basically grabs him and says here get your cowboy hat get the fuck out that kind of thing yeah. and then tells her to get out and she get just has a out. very simplistic line of like you're never here. Don't you know I do this to get attention? And I'm like, wait, does Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's very simplistic understanding of relationships is no more well, evident uh, than that one line right there. Well, when you've been around as long as I have, Brendan, you got to understand that women are little girls at heart, and they just want attention, don't they? Did you see the mule where I had sex with two <laughs> 25-year-old women? That was a good day on set, let me tell you. I, ch- I had 16 Viagra. It wasn't on screen, but I made them think we were shooting it anyway. <laughs> no, um. so the, the weird thing about that is that, and then you, you think like, okay, well, maybe it's going to it's gonna give him like a moment of reflection because like, you know, he has this, he has his girlfriend and he's leaving all the time. You know, that kind of sucks for her too. Maybe he's like, well, you know, I, mean, I shouldn't have been leaving her. Nope. He's just like, ah, dumb bitch. <laughs> Got rid of her. It's just, it's just very, and then the wife, when he ends up getting married to Sienna Miller, who hmm. I love Sienna Miller. She's great. She's, she's beautiful. She's a wonderful actor. Um, she's essentially a prop. Like there's not much yeah. more to that character other than to be like, when are you coming home? Oh, yeah. you got to come home. You got to stay away from the war. You're going to get PTSD, blah, 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 blah. Now, Brandon, I'm no expert on operational security. I thought you were going to say you're, just... you gonna say you're no expert on women. I'm no well. I'm no expert on women or operational security, right. but I mean, no matter how much of a legendary hero you were, would they just give you a satellite phone to take out into the field and call your wife whenever you want? Thank you, because that was my <laughs> my note. Literally says, "Can you call your wife while sniping? Is this even yeah. accurate to use as a through line for the movie? I don't think so, right? I don't think so. I mean, I'm willing. I'm willing to allow that. Again, I don't know, but uh, and maybe, maybe if you're that good a sniper, you get certain privileges, including a satellite phone that you're allowed to use in the field. But I feel like if you're, you know, posted up as a sniper, you should maybe keep your mouth shut and keep your eye on your job and not be talking to your wife and letting her distract you from the work that needs to be done. Well, I feel like if you're responsible for the lives of I don't know, sixty to seventy soldiers on the ground. Maybe you don't want any distractions. 
Yeah. I like when he yeah, says- Maybe she can hold off till you're back at base. <laughs> I like when he says, he says at one point towards the end of the movie, like, I wish I could have saved more. And it's like, maybe you would have if you weren't discussing what you wanted for dinner in a week. Like, <laughs> put the kid <laughs> on the phone. Put the kid, on, put the kid on the phone. He'll, they'll like hearing this and just fires off a bunch of rounds. <laughs> you want to hear what a sniper rifle sounds like, kid? <laughs> bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, come on. I, I thought that I thought that was like that was the dumbest like created moment for 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 drama because you know why they do that is eventually so they can have that part where he's talking to her and they get attacked and she's like hearing all these gunshots like, babe, babe, are you okay, babe? Oh no! And she's like crumpling on the ground and everything. Please, if if you are in the military or if you're a sniper or you know a sniper, can you find out, please, if a good sniper is allowed to have a phone in the field? Because I'd feel really bad mocking it if it was true. It might be, but Uh, it seems crazy to me. (laughs) It just seems insane. I do want to mention one other moment, though, that's like the most Hollywood moment in the movie. You've seen Hot Shots, right? Of course. Okay, you know the scene where that guy's like, I found out who killed JFK, and also I'm, we're going to get married. I'm so excited. Oh, my God, I won the lottery. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a moment like that in this movie. There's a moment. Oh, is it like- when they're like riding in the car and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got her this ring. And he's like, that's a blood diamond. <laughs> yeah. And he says like, well, I won't tell her. I tell her I got it from Zales. And he's like, oh yeah. man, I'm going to get married. It's going to be such a great time. Oh man. And we're going to hang out in 20 years. Let's all have a reunion. And, blah. and I'm like, yeah, he, pretty you much. could not make it any more obvious that this character is going <laughs> to die in the next 10 seconds. But where they swerved us was that he didn't die immediately. He got taken back to the hospital, and then he died off and screen. And then dies later. But still, yeah. like, it's, it's <laughs> just the most telegraph thing. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Clint Eastwood. Did you watch, like, an SNL sketch and think that that was, like, drama? <laughs> I only like war movies from the 30s. <laughs> I'll tell you that, Hot Shots, it's a hell of a thriller. <laughs> uh, Clint, uh, that you, Man. that's in the comedy section. Someone just put it in the wrong, uh, someone just put it back wrong at Blockbuster. Brendan, can we watch Hot Shots or Hot Shots Part 2 at some point? <laughs> For the war movies? Yes. Well, they're war, they're war movies, I mean, I feel like it would just be us laughing at the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants to hear that. <laughs> <sighs> we'll, we'll do a commentary of it, and it's just us laughing at the movie. Yeah. No jokes from us. Just <laughs> laughter. Just laughter. Um. Yeah, so I... I, I, I do, oh, I also want to mention, too, it is interesting that he says... Um, later on, he says, like, you know, I only wish I could have saved more p- people because the real quote from Chris Kyle is way more disturbing because he, he, yeah. he was quoted as saying, I wish I could have killed more. Yeah, well, I suppose it was more palatable to go that way. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> if you look at it from a certain point of view, he was saying he wanted to save more people. He just wanted to save those people by killing others. I just think it's weird <laughs> for him to go from, like, a country of subhumans to I wish I could have killed more. Like, he... he the real Chris Kyle was psychotic. Yeah, he was pretty crazy. And I think and that's, like... I think... I don't know that Bradley Cooper was the right guy to play. And Bradley Cooper was great in this movie. He's, uh, he's great. But, but I don't think that is the guy. Like, again, I wish this had been a movie about a composite character because Bradley Cooper is wonderful and... And I enjoy his performance very much. And it's nice because this time it stood out to me more than it did the previous time. Yeah. Because uh, I'm much more familiar with Mr. Cooper's work. So what but... do you mean? He what? What do you mean by like he? He's not the guy. Like I feel like Chris Kyle should be a more unstable character. Should maybe be a little less aw shucks. I mean, I didn't know the guy. Maybe he was like an aw shucks polite dude. Uh, in addition to being a, a crazy sniper, glory hound, um, with his various medals, but. Yeah, no, Bradley Cooper. I mean, Bradley Cooper's a pretty liberal dude. Like he's he's 
Are you, are you you mean that like his his personal? No, opinions? no, no. I'm just saying. I I think I think maybe there needed a darker performance. Now I know apparently Bradley Cooper thought that Chris Pratt should play uh, uh, this role. He did, and I think Chris Pratt could have been fine. I think he could have done it, but I don't know that that's what I'm thinking of. Well, he he did. Bradley Cooper was originally going to produce in it, pr- produce yeah. it, not produce in it. I mean, you could, I guess, but <laughs> I guess um, he did. Th- <laughs> just him jerking off in a scene. I produce it. But this is this was the world of 2012, where Warner Brothers was like, no, 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 we're not going to bankroll this movie with Chris Pratt as the lead. Nobody knows who that is. Barely we. We want uh, we want uh, you to you want you Bradley Cooper to be the lead if if anyone's going to do it. Um, we want you, Mister Hangover. And David O. Russell was also originally going to direct the movie too before Steven Spielberg. I think they probably had a better better time with uh, Clint. I think Clint's pretty easygoing compared to David O. Russell. Apparently, Clint Eastwood was uh, the the interesting thing about this movie is apparently Clint Eastwood was pretty hands on with this movie, which is oh was he? W- yeah, which is uh, funny because. All of the accounts I've heard of him directing any other movie, he's been relatively low key. He's just like, yeah, go do it. Yeah, <laughs> literally. I, I don't remember who it was that I was watching being interviewed, yeah. but they said that uh, literally the, the the direction was like, all right, we're going to do the scene now, and that was just it. Go, <laughs> go, action. I, I don't think he says action. I think it was just like, all right, go ahead. Yeah, I think he. I think that's the other thing too. Like the, his set is like he has such a he runs such a somber like set which is cool which is great that he's not like you know he's not a, a there's no tense there's no tension there's no like you know he apparently when he gets you know the camera sound all that stuff he just says uh all right go when you're ready which is great i, I haven't heard too many st- stories of clint eastwood of 80 year old clint eastwood being an abusive director on set. yeah no no i've never i've never yeah about him being a director never heard anything about him being hard to work with yeah i mean if you want to talk about relationships you can ask his first wife but um yeah. as far as working uh i think pretty much everybody said nice things about him but um yeah, yeah so there's a baby in this movie yeah, there is, Brennan. And the funny thing about this was that in my mind's eye, I had some, for some reason, some like Naked Gun-esque remembrance of like the baby being in like one of the scenes where a woman gets shot or something. But no, no. this is literally just a baby in a scene with people that have a baby. They're, yep, this is a scene with Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller. And they have a baby and she is holding the baby. And boy, howdy, that is the fakest baby in a movie of this budget i've yeah. ever seen this movie is like and you know it's not to skip ahead but this movie costs like 60 million dollars and there is a f- fake plastic baby yeah. as their baby now apparently according to the screenwriter um jason hall he said the story isn't ex- the story behind it is not ex- not that exciting because people were like oh yeah. my god what's the story here like was clint eastwood afraid of babies like what's going on <laughs> but apparently they um they had a baby uh, the baby had a fever. They had a second baby. Uh, the baby no-showed. So Clint Eastwood apparently literally just said, uh, give me the doll, kid, and just <laughs> put the doll on the scene. And uh, what's really funny is Bradley Cooper um, talked about this later and said, you know, it was, you know, it's kind of silly that we had to do this. And there's a scene where he, there was a scene apparently where he's holding the baby and talking to it and that he, he broke. He broke character and laughed and just looked at the crew and said, like, I'm saving you a hundred grand. 
But it's I liked it's a, I will say I I like the Bradley Cooper like when he is holding the baby if you notice he's got his finger in the fake baby's hand and he's moving it up and down like the baby's grabbing his finger mm-hmm. like he's trying to give it a little bit of life like it's a little ju- puppeteer. It's just so <laughs> wild. It's like it's like Ed Wood levels of like when Bella Lugosi's in the octopus and he's just moving the tentacles around with his hands making it look like he's well, getting it's them. like I mean, could it, I mean, why couldn't they have thrown twenty grand at someone to get them to like put a little bit of CG in there just to make it move around a little there, bit? Like there is one shot where it's a CG baby. Oh, oh yeah, oh, is it? Which yeah. that's oh. crazy too. Like, is it cheaper to just get a real baby? Surely babies don't cost that much. It's like, well, I mean, you got to pay them scale, I'm sure, but yeah, you, you just pay them in uh, in broken cookies and milk. I mean, why didn't they just have somebody run out onto like Hollywood Boulevard and be like, "Where's the baby? We need a baby. Who wants to give a baby for five hundred dollars for an hour?" <laughs> they go to a, a backroom baby dealer. <laughs> you want a baby? We'll get you a baby. Well, we got we got babies of all kinds, baby. What color you want? <laughs> what color you? Oh Lord, you know what? We joke, but there's probably something probably. like that. Um. Yeah. So it was the, the fake baby. I just that's that was the, I think that was like the narrative of this movie for a long time. It's like American Sniper. Yeah. Oh, the fake baby movie. It's it's an unfortunate reality that and and I learned this when I was in journalism school. We talked about the idea like when you're on the news, like if you're a news presenter, you have to be dressed immaculately. You have to be absolutely perfect. Every hair has to be in place mm-hmm. because if anything is wrong. That's all people will notice and talk about is what's wrong with your clothes or what's wrong with your face or whatever. So it's similar in a movie like this. Like this movie is, yeah, it's an expensive movie. It's very well made. It's very well shot. Everything in this movie is, is looks great except for that. And it's the thing that fucking stands out and that people remember. And, and you know what I read and I read this and, you know, some people might say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's silly. But I think there's merit to this is a lot of people said, you know, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. And one of the big reasons it may not have won some of those is because of the fake baby, <laughs> because it, no, I mean, it, it just sticks in your craw. <laughs> yeah, it puts it in their head. It's like somebody goes to vote on their Oscar ticket, and they're like, oh, fake baby. Yeah. No. Sorry, Bradley <laughs> Cooper. Better luck next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maybe make Hangover 4 and make me happy. Yeah, Hangover 4 nominated for seven Oscars. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And finally getting what it deserves. <laughs> yeah, um, that fake baby, man. Whew. Uh, mm. Okay, I have a question for you. This is this is sort of sure. an accuracy thing. Um, and maybe, I don't know if you know, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I'll try to answer. Okay, thank you. There's a scene where it's not big. It might not be Biggles. It might be the other dude with the mustache whose name es- escapes me now. But um, there's another guy that ends up getting killed. Um, and the, the, the troops are so mad, obviously. They're furious. And they go on like a revenge mission. Is that something that mm-hmm. you could do? I mean, I don't. F- I guess that would depend on how much command authority a guy like uh, Bradley Cooper has at this point. I mean, he's a he's a very well regarded sniper. I don't remember what his rank was. Uh, if he was an officer or if he was only a non-com, I should have probably looked into uh, that. Sergeant Charger uh, Williams Holt. <laughs> oh, that, that guy. was his rank. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know that a soldier can just say like we're going to go on a revenge mission, but. If he was going back out to deal with it, like, you know, if, if they send them back out to deal with that sniper, which he does get sent specifically out to deal with the sniper, mm-hmm. then if he wants to make it a revenge mission, we can't really, <laughs> can't really stop him from thinking that. But yeah, no, I'm pretty sure soldiers don't just get to go out on their own. That's what I was uh, thinking. Without some sort of command to do so. Yeah. Were you also um, surprised uh, that nobody was playing Jesse Ventura in this movie? <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> they didn't want to get sued. Jason, why would I even bring that up? What's the story there? I know you've told me this before. Uh, 
Yeah, Jesse Ventura sued Chris Kyle because Chris Kyle wrote in his book, he he called some guy named Scruffy and he said that this guy got in his face at a bar and he accused them of like not supporting America or something weird like that. And then the Kyle had to punch him out. And then it was only later on a, on a radio program that he indicated that he was talking about Jesse Ventura. And Jesse Ventura is like, I never even met the guy. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. So he sued him for defamation and something else and and he ended up winning. <laughs> well they ended up yeah, they ended up eventually settling because the I mean Chris Kyle died and he then he sued the estate as he had every right to and then eventually they um they had a $500,000 defamation suit that, but but they were eventually settled out of court for a quote undisclosed amount. But I mean yeah, yeah I l- listen, Chris Kyle has told some tall tales. So this whole thing with Jesse Ventura saying uh, that never happened, I completely believe Jesse Ventura. Well, considering that the guy also claimed that he and a buddy during Hurricane Katrina went down to like some building in New Orleans and shot looters. They, they shot about 30 looters protecting local businesses. And it's like, I'm pretty sure we would have heard about a pile of bodies showing up with bullets in them, 30 of them, uh, during Hurricane Katrina. And why? Uh, he would go to jail. Yeah, no, he'd be in jail for the rest of his life. Like, why would he? And and then he also claimed that he murdered a couple of people who tried to jack his car. He, but again, there's no evidence of that. There's no news stories, no reports. Like, I don't know if this is the same story you're referring to, Jason. But there's also one time that he was uh, he was at a gas station while it was being robbed, and he basically said, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to my car to get get you my keys," and then just picked up a gun and apparently shot them both dead. Um, oh, that may have that may have been the same incident. Yeah, and then he 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 claims that there was security footage, and that when the police approached him, he redirected them to the government, so he was never charged. Yeah. Like, come on. Okay, sure. Like they would be like, he's like, oh, you go ahead and call uh, the government; they'll tell you. And they're like, okay, bud, we'll call the government. He also, <laughs> uh, in the complete opposite from uh, uh, Desmond Desmond Dahl, was that his name? In Hacksaw yes. Ridge, yeah. Complete opposite, so, yeah. From De- Dawes, yeah. De- complete opposite from Desmond Dawes. He claimed to have killed about 320 people, whereas the Navy said, eh, it's like 160, actually, officially. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he said, well, those are confirmed kills. I mean, you know, the, the numbers vary. So, um, Again, again, uh, Bradley Cooper, he comes across as this, like, really modest kind of all shucks guy. But that doesn't bear out into like how he portrayed himself and how he, yeah. he speaks in his own book. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think if Texas Governor Greg Abbott decided a day should be Chris Kyle Day, I mean, he's a good guy, so that's probably okay, right? <laughs> oh, he's great. Chris, great, uh, great um, fucking guy. Greg Abbott and uh, Rick Perry, good couple of good gentlemen. Um, yeah. I will say there was um, there was something about Rick Perry passing a Chris Kyle piece of legislation that sounded good. It was, yeah. It was about helping veterans, and it was like, wow, that sounds like actually a useful piece of legislation that, why didn't it exist before? Oh, no, it was about it was about being able to transfer your military skills to civilian certification. Yes. So that if you learn to do something in the military, you're able to more easily get that certification in civilian life, which is like, yeah, you go to the military to learn that shit. Why not? That, so when you get back, you can have a job. Yeah, and that, that actually specifically was supported acro- across the aisle. That was both good. Republicans Yeah, no, and that's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. piece of legislation. Yeah, so, I mean, good on him for that. Um, but, yeah, fuck Greg Abbott. <laughs> Greg Abbott. Yeah, fuck Greg Abbott. <laughs> um, but, okay, we get to talk about So this movie, I mean, this movie, I wouldn't say it's as grisly as maybe Hacksaw Ridge. Um, 
But I mean, there are some there are some moments uh, where it gets pretty bloody and pretty gory. But I do think it's interesting, and I'm wondering if maybe it's just because it, it only happened like a year before this movie came out. But we don't actually see um, the incident that took his life. Also interesting, it took Chris Kyle's life. Also interesting, we get the setup. We don't, you know, obviously then it says on screen what happened. Um, yeah, Chris Kyle's friend Chad Littlefield was also killed uh, during yeah. during this bit where where chris kyle was killed and we don't even see anybody kind of playing that guy um which i think has to do with chad littlefield's widow because there was a there i know when we were talking about we were just talking about that little piece of legislation um they wanted to call it uh they wanted to they wanted to name something after chad littlefield and the widow apparently was like Mm. no like i don't want his name out there at all no thank you so i'm wondering if that's a big reason for it not even being mentioned in this movie Well, I would argue, too, that the way the movie is, is like, at that point, there's no need to introduce an extra element. They've already changed so much at that point. Why? Why not just, like, because it would just add an extra thing in there that might confuse people over who's this other guy. Well, I mean, he could have been introduced earlier than that in the movie. Yes, that's but... true. <laughs> yeah. I, I also do think it's interesting. That, and I, Yeah, I, I'm thinking it's because of uh, how quickly... It, it was released after uh, after he had passed away, but mm. um, it's completely off screen, and we just hear that you know this guy had PTSD and ended up uh, killing Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield. And I there's some yeah. like weirdness around that as well. Like I don't know. Hmm. Um. Because apparently, uh, anyway, they used chris kyle's gun or something like the guy said he was sitting in the back and they wouldn't talk to him so he decided to shoot them um because he said and then he said like you know i think they'd forgive me <laughs> like the guy obviously had some ptsd and issues yeah clearly some issues for sure i also read a lot of i know we should be saving this for later but i gotta say this now i also read a lot of um Opposing views that Chris Kyle went through P- PTSD. A lot of people said they didn't see any signs of it. Like a lot of people said they didn't see any signs of it. They didn't think he was going through PTSD. They thought he was just psychotic. Um, mm. So that whole aspect of the movie is a little sour to me because it's like we're 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 supporting this narrative that he did have PTSD, but that's not necessarily a given that he did. And it, and that's I true. think they're trying to kind of use that to make him more sympathetic. And yeah. it's kind of gross. Yeah. I mean, but it would be, I mean, what else? Again, this is why I, I, I go back. I, they should have used a cop as a character. They shouldn't have tried to, to do this real guy. And But they want to humanize the main character. They don't want him to be a complete psychopath. They want you to like him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I, there's no way in hell they were going to uh, do any real negative uh, things about him because apparently like a bunch of his soldier buddies were like constantly threatening the director and the and, yeah. and Bradley Cooper saying like you better fucking give him justice and stuff like that well I mean that's the thing too like these guys served with him and he has proven him he proved himself time and time again in combat that he was not to be fucked with and he was there for his guys so I mean that engenders a loyalty that is probably unknown to us in the civilian side of things um, and you wore the punishment so I, I understand wh- and they wore the Punisher logo, oh, which is just like, guys, come on. You you're not fucking, you're not vigilantes. You're fucking soldiers. Get over yourselves. Yeah. Most <sighs> of the people, that, most people that wear the Punisher logo have don't understand what the Punisher is. No. And it's like, you're trying to win hearts and minds. Like that was one of the slogans of the Iraq war was hearts and minds. Yeah. Right. And can you win hearts and minds when you're coming into combat with fucking skulls on you guys? Listen, uh, <laughs> 
It's a little too Nazi for me. Mm. There's a there's a bunch of things we need to stop using on military uniforms: skulls, uh, golden eagles, um, red, white, and black. Unless you're Arab, that's okay. But if you're anybody else, no red, white, and black. Uh, and yeah, let's let's just maybe lay off a bit. And no more <laughs> kangles. Yes, not in combat. God damn it! Whenever Joe Pantoliano goes to combat, it's like kangles, kangles, kangles. Him and Billy Bob Thornton. It's just too much. It's not going to protect your head, Joe. No. Or Billy Bob. Um, Okay, well, Jason, uh, uh, should we move on? Should we move on to Bits and Bombs? Yeah, there there is an incoming air raid, and soon we will see some bits and some bombs, or rather some bombs, then some bits. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Okay, well, on that note, uh, we are going to take a brief break, and we will be right back. Favorite podcast network of Texas? Well, that's ageofradio.org. That's where you can see the podcast for screen and country. Texan like me loves British movies, and he loves war movies even more. So check it out for screen and country on Age of Radio. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Bing, 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 bang. I'm in a place you can't find me. I'm in a little box on top of a roof. Bing, bang, bing, bang. I got you. Sniped you. Got you. You don't know where I am. American sniper. My life is on the line. American sniper. You'll never find me. Oh, yeah. It's time for bits and bombs. Of course, the closing credits theme from American Sniper. Glad to hear it again. Yeah, I added the bits and bombs part, but everything else. Yeah, was... I know it was a remix of, of uh, that. Yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah. I wrapped it up a little bit. I do think it's weird. This movie promotes uh, child abuse a little bit. The the, the dad taking off his belt and uh, doing that whole speech about sheep and sheep dogs and wolves. Yeah, again, it just felt very like this, like just so old school tropey in a movie. The son, there's three cats of people in this world. There's sheep and there's sheep dogs and there's wolves. And you won't be sheep dog. But, but don't you think like usually um, a scene like this, because he takes off his belt and puts it on the table as like a threat of like, you better, yeah. you better fucking beat the shit out of any bullies who attack one of your sheep. This little fucking weak ass little brother of yours. But didn't you think it was weird? Like I thought the follow up to that would be like, oh, he the, the dad was a drunk. The dad was maybe beating them too much. But no, they just they're just like, oh yeah, this is normal. No, dad was just a disciplinarian, and he's like, if you let your brother get beat up, I'm gonna beat you up. I mean, I can also see Clint Eastwood, okay. I can also see Clint Eastwood being like, you know, uh, I remember back in the day when we got to beat our kids. That was good times. That's how my dad did to me. He'd beat me if I didn't beat up the other boys. So that he wanted me to be the number one boy, and that's what I was. Clint Eastwood, the number one boy, they called me. They kept it going when I was a man, and that's why Unforgiven was so good. Anytime I got writer's block, a belt on the hand, and my knuckles <laughs> bled till God damn it, I wrote the best script ever written. <laughs> 
another fun uh, another fun trope when we see uh, when we see Chris for the first time uh, as a young man he walks out in a cowboy hat with his head down and then lifts his head up oh, yeah <laughs> yeah very yeah I, I I will say I appreciate in, in opposition and sorry I'm sorry I'm bringing up Hacksaw Ridge a lot but I thought about that movie a lot while watching this. And I gotta I gotta commend this movie for making the training sequences a lot more brisk, <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, not drawing them out quite as quite as much because I thought that was th- those were a bit long in in the other movie. But also, but also driving home the kind of training that the seals have to do to really like they really go through the shit. They have to sit in like fucking cold mud and water and just sit there and soak. Oh yeah, and they have to get used to that stuff because they're sea, land, and air. I just enjoyed how it was more economic. Yes. Um, I wonder, I, I, I had a thought while watching this movie, I wonder if, if a bunch of soldiers started playing uh, back darts after this movie because we see a scene where Buddy has like a dartboard painted on his back and guys are just hucking darts into his back. I mean, you don't think they were already doing it? They may have been because, you know, I don't put it past Army Bucks to do that sort of dumb shit because they're guys in their like, you know, late teens, early 20s. So you get some booze in them. Of course, they're going to do dumb shit like that. But I wonder if this is one of those things where somebody saw it once, put it in the movie, and now they're like, yeah, we got to do that. Yeah. Um, There's a scene that sticks out to me, too, where, uh, you know, the scene you mentioned where Chris Kyle's on the roof, you know, with the other guy. The other guy's playing like video games or something. And he's like getting ready to snipe, and then he goes like, you know, I'm gonna go down there and help them. Fuck this! And the yeah. other guy says, No, fuck that! I'm staying up here. And Chris Kyle's like, All right, well, when I see you again, I'm gonna kill you, basically. <laughs> and like he's basically calling this guy scum for not abandoning his post and going on a suicide mission. Yeah, and and I mean, and, and, supposed, yeah, well, and, and this is supposed to sound like heroic, <laughs> like. What yeah. the fuck? I mean, if, if if Chris Kyle outranks him, technically he could order him to, but he doesn't order him to. No, he just says I that if, directly, if you... He just like, you better show up or it's going to be a problem. Yeah, if you don't, you're basically scum. It's like, no, I think you should probably just stay where you are. There's a whole, there's a point to this. <laughs> we have that moment where, um, what what's what's his wife's name? Taya. Taya. Where Taya says, uh, my mom said I have a nose for picking the wrong men. And it's like, yeah, you do. You still do. <laughs> Yeah. You did. You did. You do. You still do. And you still did. Yeah. So some of this movie takes place at the Second Battle of Fallujah, which is one of the bloodiest battles of the American war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a brutal, I think they were there, I think it was a month long kind of siege and it was some of the heaviest house to house fighting since World War II. Mm Mm-hmm. It's rough, man. It was a rough battle. I mean, I think like 95 Americans died and like 1,500 Iraqis. It was just... Yeah, it is one of the worst things of the war. But they, you know, we see some of that here, but mm-hmm. we don't get obviously get a full picture of it. I think that, that movie, or rather that battle deserves its own story in a movie. And I'm sure it must have been done, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll pop up on a list. Who knows? My only other note, Jason, is um, towards the end when <laughs> the Chris Kyle, I think it's like his, with his daughter, and they're looking at this horse, and Chris Kyle says like, Oh, isn't that horse great? Just kind of done his job already, just walking around, just doing his thing. And I'm like, oh, oh, wait, are you? Is Chris Kyle like kind of like the horse? Is that what you're saying, movie? Uh, I can't read into it. It's so it's so deeply layered and thick and (laughs) subtle. Yeah, keeps going back to the war. I mean, like so many soldiers, he goes back because it's all he really knows. It's all that seems real to him is is life on the front, life in the shit, life on Mars. Um. Not found my 
Uh, so when he kills uh, Mustafa at the end, well, he blows his operations cover to do so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. You want to take this guy out, but you've endangered your entire operation, and it turns into a, a, a heated firefight that uh, they have to escape from. Oh, yeah, the sandstorm thing is pretty cool, I guess. Yes, that is a cool moment. Uh, that's a very much like a... That was then ended up in one of the Battlefield games where there was a map where the sandstorm would come in occasion on the map and fuck everything up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I wrote down, do the insurgents have no training at all? It's possible. I mean, I don't know what the Iraqi insurgency was like as far as training guys, but it seemed like they were acting real stupid uh, in this movie. And maybe that was just because they needed to for the purposes of the plot. Yeah, but. I don't know. I don't think Clint was super interested in how good they looked. Uh, the last two notes I have is we have that scene where we see Bradley Cooper's face and we hear like, you know, the, all the sounds of war, right? And it pans around the room and it goes to the TV and <gasps> the TV's off. It's in his head. <laughs> it just made me really Clint. And then that final scene before he goes off to his death just felt like they were laying it on. Like it felt just a hair away from like, well, I love you guys so much. And when I come home, we're going to go for ice cream. You bet your bottom dollar because daddy loves you. I'll be right back. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, w- I, I had a note about <laughs> I had that same note about almost every one of the like PTSD scenes because it was like a drill yeah. would go and they'd close up on Bradley Cooper's face and the music would go and he yeah. would just like give like a very pensive look at the camera. And yeah. it's not Bradley Cooper's fault. Like you said, I think he no. does a great job in this movie. Oh, he's fantastic. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, especially that TV scene, like cause especially as it's turning around, it's like, OK, yeah, we all know what's yeah. going to happen here. Yeah. Just get to it. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't yeah. that scene in the Killing Fields where we watched the TV for about ten minutes. Yeah, no, we didn't feel the need to do that. We just got we just got our brief shot of nine eleven. We got a shot of the second plane hitting. Said what it needed to say. What if the movie had ended with Bradley Cooper suddenly in the towers on nine eleven? You mean like that Robert Pattinson movie? Yeah, exactly. But he just like teleports in, and Robert Pattinson's giving that speech or whatever, and he's just like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> No, isn't that movie like there's like a classroom and it says like today's day is September 11th, 2001. You see Robert Pattinson in an office building. I think that's how that movie goes. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking dumb. Like dumbest and probably one of the most offensive twists in a movie. <laughs> Just so out of nowhere. Yeah. For a movie that had nothing to do with 9-11, I think up to that point. No, absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's like a romantic drama. Yeah. Anyway. I'm uh, I'm I'm I'll wrap it up here. I don't, I think I pretty much covered a lot of the stuff behind the scenes, but I'll mention that uh, Bradley Cooper did have to eat around six thousand calories a day to gain forty plus pounds, um, mm. and it was also it was usually uh, in the form of these bland protein shakes. Bradley Cooper said Ooh. this was one of the worst movies he had to prepare for, um, or one of the worst prep things he had to do for a movie. Ugh. And the worst part is right after that, he had to uh, uh, kind of lose it again for another movie. So he's, um, uh, as we mentioned, Chris Kyle apparently never shot any children. Um, in his autobiography, he said he did scope a child at one point. Um, and that's the moment with the RPG later where he doesn't yeah. have to actually shoot him. Um, that's a pretty well, he, good he th- waits and waits and waits and like he probably should have pulled the trigger at some point. Yeah. But he didn't. And then the kid eventually does drop it. They almost should have just taken the the scene out where he killed the kid and just left that one in because that, that that's, I don't know. Mm. I, well, maybe the kid is just establishing right out the gate that this guy's fucking serious. I get it that it's like dramatic. I still think it's wild that they use all this stuff to like butter up Chris Kyle and they put in the movie that he shot a kid when he never actually yeah. shot a kid. Yeah. Um, 
he, he, he said, may have requested that. <laughs> yeah, and Chris Kyle uh, was quoted as saying, um, I had a clear view of my scope of the child, but I didn't fire. I wasn't going to kill a kid, innocent or not. These are his words, remember, folks, not mine. I'd have to wait until the savage who put him up to it showed himself on the street. So there you yeah. go. Um, this movie got uh, solid reviews. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, though, a uh, score of 72%, which I yeah. thought was interesting. Um, the consensus says, powered by Clint Eastwood's sure-handed direction and a gripping central performance from Bradley Cooper, American Sniper delivers a tense, vivid tribute to its real-life subject. The Hollywood Reporter said the film was a taut, vivid, and sad account of the brief life of the most accomplished marksman in American military annals. Um, Keith Phipps wrote that the film, while well-made, missed a chance to explore the toll that such service exacts on soldiers. I think, yeah, I think they do it very kind of after the fact. I w- I'm more interested in talking about some of these negative reviews, though, um, because uh, uh, Rolling Stone wrote that the movie turned the complicated moral questions and mass bloodshed of the Iraq War into a black-and-white fairy tale while without presenting the historical context. Uh, the Guardian argued that the film presented a simplified black-and-white portrayal of the Iraq War and that it features the distortion of facts into unreliable myths based on based upon previous legends. Um and then uh, The Wrap gave the film a negative review, saying director Clint Eastwood's focus on Kyle is so tight that no other character, including wife Taya, comes through as a person, and the scope's so narrow that the film engages only superficially with the main, many moral issues surrounding the Iraq War. Yeah. Um, and that's when uh, Clint Eastwood uh, responded and said... Uh, the fact of what war does to the family and the people who have to go back into civilian life like Chris Kyle did is the biggest anti-war statement any film can make, he said. Um, which, again, I don't think he shows that enough to really say that that's in the movie. Um, but he does say, one of my favorite war movies that I've ever been involved with is Letters from Iwo Jima. We'll do that one eventually. And that was about family, about being taken away from life, being sent someplace. In World War II, everybody just sort of went home and got over it. Now there is some effort to help people through it. He said, I was a child growing up during World War II. That was supposed to be the one to end all wars. And four years later, I was standing at the draft board being drafted during the Korean conflict. And then after that was Vietnam, and it goes on and on forever. He says, and I just wonder, does this ever stop? And no, it doesn't. Okay, great, Clint. So where was your, where was, where was that in this movie? Yeah, like I never, it, I didn't get I, that. I appreciate, I appreciate wanting to have that, but yeah, it doesn't really come through as well. I mean, there is a bit of lip service paid, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really drive that home. Yeah, Brad, um, uh, Bradley Cooper tried to uh, kind of dissuade the criticism about Chris Kyle and said that maybe people who take issues with Kyle should redirect their attention to the leaders who put the troops there in the first place. Um, he said, any discussion that has nothing to do with vets or, or what we did or did not do for them, every conversation in those terms is moving farther and farther away, away from what our soldiers go through and the fact that 22 veterans commit suicide each day. And that might be more now. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he says, you know, increasing number of soldiers are returning from conflict psychologically damaged only to be more or less discarded. Uh, this movie does go to the Oscars. It is up for six. It is nominated for five and wins one. Can you name any of those ones you think it is up for? Wait, you said it was up for six, nominated for five, and wins one. Yes, nominated for five that it doesn't win, but wins the sixth one. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, ooh, did Bradley Cooper get a, a nod? Bradley Cooper is nominated. The winner that year is Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. Okay, uh... Best Adapted Screenplay? Best Adapted Screenplay goes to The Imitation Game. Okay. Oh, yeah, that year. Um, surely not a Best Supporting. Nope. 
Okay, I didn't think so. Um, best sound editing? Best sound editing is the one Oscar that it wins. Oh, okay. And best picture, I think it got nominated. Best picture nominated. The winner that year is Birdman. Mm-hmm. Um, best sound? Sound mixing? Sound mixing yeah. is nominated. Whiplash ends up winning that. Really? And there's one wow. more, Jason. Uh, <laughs> best cinematography? Nope. It is nominated for Best Editing, which is also oh, okay. also won by Whiplash that year. Okay. Um, at the BAFTAs, it's nominated for two. Doesn't win any, but it's nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, which again, uh, which this time actually goes to The Theory of Everything, and nominated for Best Sound, which also goes to Whiplash. Um, the movie has a budget of $59 million. Can you venture a guess as to what this pulled in worldwide? Uh, $180 million. Five hundred and forty-seven point four million dollars. Wow, gargantuan hit! A huge, huge hit. I was looking at the best picture nominees that year, and apparently, like almost none of them had reached the one hundred million dollar mark in the U.S. And this one was at like three hundred and fifty U.S. U.S. Wow. box office. Clearly, cl- people wanted to see it. Yeah, I think the closest to that was like eighty million. Um, but there you go. That's American Sniper. Uh, now, Jason, tell us, tell us, because this is a complicated one um, that we kind of broke down, but tell us what you think overall for this one. I've been a big Clint Eastwood fan for a long time. Uh, I love him as an actor. I love him as a filmmaker. Uh, I think he's very talented at both. Uh, in a vacuum, I think this is a really solid war movie. It's entertaining. It's got good action scenes. Um, it, it is, I, I feel like it's accurate to the era in a lot of ways, but maybe not for the historical aspect of it. Uh, but then going out of that vacuum and when you start getting into the real life history and issues of it, it kind of diminishes the movie as a piece. Uh, but if you are a war movie fan, I think this is worth a watch, but I really don't think that it's going to gonna hang. I don't think it's going to be on this list when we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, even less positive on this one. I think... Uh, it's hard, it's hard to figure because, like you said, there are some there are some well directed, especially the action sequences. I mm-hmm. mean, especially for an eighty year old man directing yeah. these scenes. I'm sure he had some second unit people, but still, um, there are some great action sequences. Uh, but again, it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like everything comes together like it should. Like mm. this is a movie about a guy ostensibly suffered from PTSD, according to the movie. Um, mm. You know. And was a sniper and went through some personal strife. And I really just get action thriller for almost two hours. And then, oh, yeah, PTSD, right? Sorry, forgot about that in the last, like, 20 minutes. And it just, it just, I don't know. It doesn't come together. And, yes, it probably hurts it that it's about Chris Kyle, who was not a great person um, Mm. in many ways. But even as a movie, even if it's not about him, I think it's still not one of Clint's best. And I think it's a very, very, very Hollywood. I think it's very like trite in parts. And I think it's, um, like you said, the music swelling, the PTSD representation, the, the cowboy hat moment. Like there's so many, the fake baby, there's so many moments that kind of derail this. And it's just, uh, it's enough for me to say, like, it's certainly not one of the greats for me. Um, it's, probably like you know average or around average for me i guess it's fine if you want to watch a war movie this is not a waste to watch this you'll probably be entertained by you'll probably enjoy yourself to some extent 
yeah, you'll find something, I guess. I, it wouldn't be one uh, that I would recommend, but no, it wouldn't be my first go-to either. But I will say too, I actually do like this better the second time. Uh, I didn't. Okay. I was. I was very kind of cold on it when I saw it the first time. I appreciate it more this time, but still, it's not going to be on this list. There are many, many, many better war movies that better address combat and the effects of it afterwards and are about more interesting people. I can't wait to watch that movie that stars Audie Murphy. That's going to mm. be great. <laughs> As himself, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, Jason, I'm the opposite. I think I actually liked it more the first time and liked it less this okay. time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I think I saw it in theater. I think I was like, whoa, they went completely silent for the credits. That's respect. I think, uh, I, think I was blown away by that. And they have the real footage of his funeral at the end, of course. And yeah, I, I think that was nice. You know what, though? I think maybe at the time I didn't know as much about Chris Kyle. I think that that no. hampered my viewing a little bit this time. Yeah. Um, Why would you? You didn't have the context. I didn't have the context. No, no context for me. But that's it. That's it for American Sniper. We're moving on, Jason. We're moving on to uh, a film discussion next week. Another one. We're going to have these every week. Um, this is a movie <laughs> I don't think that you've seen. Um, oh, but we're going to talk about a uh, very interesting movie. Uh, we're going to the Vietnam War, Jason, for the first time on this podcast. So get ready. Um, do whatever you got to do. Uh, insert funny tagline here mm-hmm. um, because the Vietnam War, above all else, is one of our more f- hilarious wars. Oh, God. So many laughs. <laughs> Everybody had the log rides. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we're going to talk about Oliver Stone's Platoon next week. I have I have seen Platoon. I've oh, seen it a couple seen, times, oh, though it has been it. it has been a good 15 or 20 years. So oh, okay. I'm excited to check it out again. OK, I, I was under the I was under the impression that you had not seen it, but mm-hmm. uh, you had not seen it, if you will, <laughs> although they were not the villains in the Vietnam War. And um, as you'll point out next week, Brendan, no doubt, a rare uh, military movie that is not supported by the U.S. government. They had to go all in on them on this themselves. So prepare yourself with that in yeah. mind if you have not seen Some Platoon. Some real shit. This movie goes deep. Um, this ain't no fucking Top Gun, buddy. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> Has anybody <laughs> recused it? <laughs> Platoon, to me, is just a lot like Top Gun. <laughs> it's just Oliver Stone's Top Gun. <laughs> So there you go. Next week, Platoon. That's what we're going to talk about. Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe, Oliver Stone directing. Lots of other people showing up in the movie. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. And uh, But until then, Jason, they can find us everywhere on the World Wide Web. Our home base is Age of Radio. Go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. You can also find us on any other podcast app. Uh, we are also on Facebook. Just search for us there. We are on Twitter at FSACpod, as in for screen. And country podcast, uh, Jason. Uh, what about you, pal? I am at Jason D. McLeod. That is M A C L E O D on Twitter. Yeah, so check him out. Check me out. Check before check, we go, check, Brendan. Check. Yes. Before we go, Brendan, I just want to say thank you to the great people of Baghdad for having us here today. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, for the show, yes, give yourselves a round of applause. Yes, you may not be able to hear it, but they are applauding wildly. Oh, wow. Um, it's almost too loud. It's almost too loud. And uh, uh, thank you to you, uh, the listener, because mm. you make this possible. Yes. You don't give us any money yet, 
But you could. You could. Uh, we don't have a place for you to give it. I but mean, I think you should take the effort to figure out where we are and give us money. <laughs> I mean, you've got our first screen and country email. You could do e transfers. That's I'm right. Just saying. Yeah, Venmo us. That's a thing, right? Yeah, That's Western, what they do in the states. Western Union. Uh, Western some money. Union. Just say it's for the hosts of for screen and country. They'll know. They'll know. They'll, They'll know, know where we are. we are. They know where we are. They know all about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Very good. So on that note, uh, Jason, we are going to wrap it up wrap it up with this week's episode like i said we're going to talk about platoon next week but until then i've just got to say to you god save the king when's burger king getting back uh frings i don't know but hopefully soon and for screening country i'm brendan and i'm jason yum 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 vietnam platoon yum I was five and he was six We rode on horses made of sticks He wore black and I wore white He would always win the fight Bang, bang, he shot me down Bang, bang, I hit the ground Bang, bang, that awful sound Bang, bang, my baby shot me down Seasons came and changed the time When I grew up I called him mine He would always laugh and say Remember when we used to play Bang, bang I shot you down, bang, bang You hit the ground, bang, bang That awful sound Bang, bang I used to shoot you Music played and people sang Just for me the church bells rang 